Jack Maxwell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here. <laughs> What's happening? I believe in a new day to come that it's always darkest before the dawn. Moving in slow motion, baby. Still, I'm moving on. You're hired. <laughs> Let's go. God, no. Unless you want to scare off geese or something. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm good. What's looks happening? Like, looks like you're in the Garden of Eden. What is happening? Oh, the Garden of Drinking, in my case. <laughs> yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Look at that. That's oh. very. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, 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 what happened here? Hang on. <laughs> All right. Uh-oh. What's new in home? What does that mean? <laughs> Hang on. How do I get this back? All right. There we go. Yeah, so I won't touch the phone again. Looks nice, doesn't it? Looks idyllic. Not Are bad. You... And behind me, pool. Ah, come on, man. You're living the dream. Well, you in... it's, it's beautiful today in Sherman Oaks, California. Sherman Oaks. That was my next question. Okay. Yeah. I have, I have a number of questions, um, but hit me kind of a little bit uh your origin story uh south boston um this podcast typically uh it's a, it's kind of music centric and so we'll talk about some music but i'm more interested in um well your relationship with music i know that music is a very important thing in your life uh and i know that you take it seriously and are passionate about it um but maybe hit me with growing up in South Boston, oh, and maybe for our listeners, uh, I hope there are multiple listeners, um, the difference between South Boston and Southie. I feel like that's something we just got to get cleared up right now. Sure. I, I'll start there. There is no difference. <laughs> Southie is South Boston. Now, there's the South End, okay, which is right, fancy right, pants. Right. That's different. But Southie, South Boston... I grew up in the D Street Projects, uh, Lower West Broadway, and uh, between, well, the, the, the train station down that way is Broadway Station, for those familiar. Uh, you go into town, the next one, South Station, maybe that's a little too inside baseball, but that just gives you an idea. Downtown Boston was only one, was only one, uh, one stop away, yeah. and uh, so it was a very small neighborhood, Southie. I think it's only like two by four miles at the very most. And it ends at Castle Island out there where we fought the British. There's this great fort out there where we, uh, we held off the British and all these uh, cannons are still there. So it's a beautiful place in a sense. It's got beaches. They're kind of more rocky than they are Hawaiian beaches or Tahiti or whatever, you know, um, New England type beaches. But to me, growing up in the projects, it's funny you say about music because as a kid, we all hated the adult music because we didn't understand it. And it was orchestral and big band stuff. And um, there were people like wonderful artists like Barbara Streisand and uh, from Hello, Dolly. I remember my mother had that record and Louis Armstrong and uh, Sinatra and Dee Martin, of course, and all of that. But as a kid, that means nothing to you. To me, music was this. When I would hear my friends outside playing, especially the, the clack clack of hockey sticks on, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the street, because we play street hockey, and uh, the screaming of the kids when they scored a goal, or stickball, to hear uh, what was called a pimple ball. It was just this cheap 
hollow rubber ball that they sold at the store for 29 cents. And, uh, you know, you have to get a broom handle to hear that whack against even it's just in a weird way that it just it, it would push into the rubber. Then the rubber takes off and bouncing off the, the, the church uh, across the street. And if you did that, that's a home run. Of course, <laughs> if you reach the church because there's a street there, that to me was music. And, and I guess music is a collection of sounds that they don't have to be symphonic necessarily, but however they're orchestrated or put together that moves you in whatever way. And I think that's why man invented music or stole it from nature, if you will. I don't know what happened, but to me, that was music until I started getting into uh, how music affected me. And I, I remember my very first favorite song was My Eyes Adored You by Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons. And it's because I like this girl, Donna, whose last name I shall keep secret in case she's married with kids. <laughs> Or hates my guts because I never made a move because I was too shy. I don't know. But I would hear that song and it hit me. And if you know the words, I know you do. But uh, carried your book, books from school, playing make-believe you married to me. I would go right past that part because we didn't go to the same school. But you were fifth grade. I was sixth. He's talking to me. This is about me and Donna. I am in sixth grade right now. She is in fifth. Oh, my goodness. So I remember making my mother drive around with my shoeshine money in hand till we found a record store that had that 45. For those who don't know what 45s are. And I just played it until it wore out. But it just made me feel. And from that moment, of course, I liked songs before that. But from that moment on, music meant so much to me. I realized how much it can not only pull at your heartstrings, affect your mood but also comfort you when you need it music is all of those things which is why i love it so much which and we could go back and talk about the childhood and what that was like which brings me to you because we have a mutual friend ken colburn who yeah. said listen you ever hear the sweet remains I, they're my buddies and you know i know you're looking for music for your pilot which i'm about to shoot okay. uh and and i heard your music and i said oh my goodness this has to be in it how many kidneys do I have to sell? I only have two for this guy to allow me to use his music. What do I have to do? And because you're such a sweetheart, you said, sure, let's work something out. And however that that goes. And I just can't wait for that to be part of the whole experience. And, you know, without getting into minute details, I already understand what part it's going to be and where it's going to go. And I just couldn't be more excited and more grateful to you for your great music. Thank you for that. Well, I'm I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been uh, binging Booze Traveler, which I definitely want to talk to you about. Um, and definitely, if we can, uh, rap about the pilot and and the difference between Booze Traveler and what the new show is going to be. I, I, I really want to dig into that. Um, sure. Now I know that you kind of you kind of started. Uh, as an actor and how was that did you did you stay in boston and pursue it there did you leave like how, how did that kind of come about yeah all good questions i was too afraid to go after my dream which is why i'm so forward thinking now and i just would run through a wall for my own happiness and for that of others and for my friends because i wasted so much time growing up in the uh, and for those who don't know who that is, this low-income housing created after World War II for all the baby boomers, all the kids. 
uh, that were going to be born. And basically, it's a brick job. It's not an exaggeration. And because I didn't have a father around or an older brother around, uh, it was a different experience than those who came from big families and who could have older brothers stick up for them and all of that. So it was, it was that. And you see lots of violence. Back in the day, domestic violence was very common. Uh, you know, men hitting their wives and girlfriends, or it's just street fights. We just, I'd be walking through a, a street fight uh, between people in the building that the next day, hey, Joe, how you doing, Frank? Nice to see you. After they just beat the crap out of each other the day before. Uh, a lot of alcoholism and drug, drug use or drug abuse, maybe. And it's because this situation was, I mean, I don't, I don't really judge it. I just just observe it and to, and to try to figure out why looking back it was a, a miserable existence for a lot of people there may be a couple that falls in love and they have kids and they don't or jobs come and go they really don't make enough money to support seven or eight or twelve kids and uh and then at some moment you just let go of the thread that holds your life together and maybe you stop caring i mean i saw a lot of that hopefully that doesn't happen too often but we know it happens more often than it should of course being there so I was just trying to make my way in whatever way I could. I tried to be a good boy for my mother and grandmother who raised me, although my grandmother did not live there and I had a baby sister. Uh, so I became an altar boy across the street at the church. Uh, and I was going to go to the school next to the church, but they burned it down. So I had to go up the street uh, to St. Peter's at 6th and I. Uh, and then we left in 1975 when I was going into seventh grade. Uh, my mother moved us to Phoenix. But growing up there, I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it because it made me who I am, whatever that is, or imbued me with certain understandings of the world and characteristics and all of that. But, uh, but at the same time, it was always populated with kids and it, you'd never want for a game of catch or throw the football around or street hockey, or just to hang out to talk about things to uh, figure out what, what do the adults know that we don't or the older kids or whatever. But, but the uh, other side of that coin was, I'd watch a lot of television that use it as escapism you know, of course, like many of us do or did as a kid. And we had those really big TVs and I'd have to sit kind of close and bang on the top of it or mess with the rabbit ears with the aluminum foil. Uh, but I, I remember one day, and I've told the story before, but I mean, if you haven't heard it, you might find it interesting. I was watching Batman and I was just so fascinated with it. You know, I'd come up with secret notes and things like that. I just really got into the show. As the a little kid, Adam, Adam West, Batman, or that one? Yes, that's how old I am. The original <laughs> Adam West, Batman, and Burt Ward, and uh, Batgirl, and Catwoman, and the Joker, and the Riddler, and yeah. Penguin, and all of that. Oh, Batman! <laughs> Remember Caesar Romero, this very big, wonderfully loud uh, Joker, and uh, so I was, I'd be watching that, and and somehow I made the connection. That I, that I wanted to do that. Mm. And my mother would say, well, listen, that's not really Batman and Robin, you know? And I said, Ma, I know. It's Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I knew something she didn't. And she said, no, you don't even understand that. It, it's someone playing someone who's playing Batman. You see, uh, Adam West, plays uh bruce wayne plays batman burt ward plays dick grayson plays robin and then i got confused like, what do you mean there's there's no gotham city there's no batmobile in a secret Batcave. where's alfred uh, what 
and I had a crush on on uh, Batwoman and Catgirl. They were both sexy, but I was a kid. What do I know from right. sex? Wasn't one and, of them uh, Eartha Kit? Yes, I think so. Was it? I think she uh, was the Catwoman, maybe. Yeah, that that's possible. Huh. Yeah, though it is it is it is possible. Yeah. Um. Right. And uh, anyway, the. Did you see what they just did, by the way? They just pulled the movie Batgirl. Oh. $90 million movie, and they're not going to show it. What happened? I didn't hear this. Uh, maybe the Joker stole it. No, I have no idea. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> so they, they're not saying why. Some controversy stuff. That's a lot of money to That's sink into a movie. That never so gets I, Right. Yeah, I don't know. Not that I was going to rush out and see it. Oddly enough, now I'm not, I'm not really a big uh, MCU geek and, and all of that stuff. You know, movies are movies. Whatever you enjoy, you enjoy. But I don't go rush out to see Thor four times like my friend just did. Um, but the, I, nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it if that's what you like. But oddly enough, I was so fascinated. I read all the comic books, The Thing and Thor and um, uh, Flash and Green Lantern and all of that stuff. Loved them all. Along with uh, the Archie comics and Richie Rich. It wasn't sure. all serious stuff. Yeah. Not just about saving the world. Um, <laughs> So, so then I said, wait a minute, what, what do you mean, mom, by that? She says, well, they are actors. Okay, what does that mean? So I said, I want to be that. So I remember distinctly hmm. the first time that dream was squashed. Oh, there goes the bad cop right now. Can you hear that? Sorry about that. Right over my head. Um, oh, I'm sorry then. Then we could just cut that part out. <laughs> So the first time I remember somebody stepping on my dream, I went outside to play. We we're playing street hockey. And I asked one of the older kids, uh, so how do you become an actor? And he looked at me like I had three heads. Or Joker, Riddler, and the Penguin. I just, he looked at me so strange and looked down at me because he was an older kid. I said, Jackie, what are you, a sissy or something? Why do you want to act it? Fix cars, play for the Red Sox or the Brewers. You're a good hockey player. Be the next Bobby Orr. What is this about acting? Oh, no, you know, I, I was just curious. I, I just didn't know. So then I, then I moved to, we moved to Phoenix and I tried to do it. But drama classes at the same time as sports after school, the counselor said, I said, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I have to do sports or drama because they're both after school at the same exact time. And he said, knowingly, and of course, I didn't know what he was doing. He said, well, son, generally speaking, if you do drama, you don't play sports. <laughs> I'm like, why is he such a weirdo? Then I understood why he was saying, you know, there's right. a great divide. Between so I finally got to high school and I saw, oh, great, an acting class. And it's an elective. And you can you walk into classes the first week at freshman orientation to see what it is you want to do. You want to take this class, that class. That's great. You don't have to pick them till you go in. So I, I walk in. So I walked into drama, which wasn't after school. I could still play sports. And there was uh, it was like a fever dream. I could I didn't know what I was looking at. One guy holding up a skull. Allah, poor Yorick. We knew him well. Like, wow, that guy has mental illness. I didn't know what Shakespeare was. He's holding a skull. What is this guy doing? And then the, the drama teacher was dancing across the stage with a, a rose in his mouth, showing them what to do. One, two, three, four. I, oh, no, no, I'm not into musicals. I'm not into 
holding dead skulls, you creep. I didn't, I didn't know what any of it was. So I was intimidated. Right. So I ran out. Fast forward. Finally, I, I moved back to Boston after high school. And then I go to Vegas with some friends of mine to just start a new life and do whatever. And I'm just about 30 years old, 29, I guess, and, and change. And I see in the paper auditions for a play. And I'm like, that's it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I don't care what anybody says. Older kids playing hockey, drama teachers, counselors. I'm going. I don't care. Hold the skull. It doesn't scare me. So I walk in and they said, okay, great. We're going to do a cold reading from the script. And I said, what, what does that mean? A cold reading? What is that? Well, you just read it from the script. Aren't you an actor? Well, no, I've always wanted to be. It's a long story. One day I'll bore, I'll bore Brian on a podcast, but I don't want to get into it now, I told her. And she said, she said, all right, here, read the script. And I was terrible. I was so, I mean, I'd never really read uh, lines out loud. What do you mean you are leaving me for my brother and are having his child? That is sad to me. They thought I was messing with them. So I left and I came back a few days later and they said, oh, no, you can't come back. Because it has to be a call. We have to call you back. Hence the term callback. <laughs> but I saw that there were two sets of auditions. So anyway, I came back and they liked, they appreciated the work that I had done and learning lines and, and understanding that's not how you do it. Anyway, long story monotonous. They gave me a part. And then I got another one right after that. During rehearsals for that, I auditioned for a lead in a wonderful play by Lyle Kessler called Orphans. It's a three-man play. Uh, a younger kid, an older guy, and then someone that I was writing for at the time. And he was a street kid. And I kind of understood that life and how he talked and what his fears were and how he would cover up these fears. And so I got the lead and there were like several hundred, couple hundred people auditioning for these three parts. And I thought, oh my goodness, but now I have to do two plays. Anyway, it took off from there. And I decided that that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. The hosting came later in life. But yeah, that's that's how acting started out. And I didn't do it. I didn't have the courage to do it till uh, I got to Las Vegas at almost 30 years old. Wow. Wow. What, what brought your family out to Phoenix in the first place? Mm. Well, my mother was a single mother and I was 12, almost 13. And she knew the streets might have been kind up to that point. But there's a time frame mm. where they can swallow you whole. They take you in and you start listening to the older kids. Not just about your acting folks and dreams, but hey, go do this. Here's a 10. Go run this errand. Take this bag over there. And this was the era of Whitey Bulger, by the right. way, for those who know that, who that is. And she had the foresight to understand that if she didn't get me then, she might lose me eventually. Huh. And uh, again, because I didn't have a lot of male influence in my life, she thought maybe I'd gravitate to, to someone or to some people that I shouldn't. So um, she had this old shitbox, as we used to say, old car that was all broken down, Camaro, that somehow made it to Phoenix, Arizona wow. with a U-Haul on the back, you know, the tennis ball yeah. at, uh, attachment. She uh, <laughs> put a little U-Haul on wheels, took all our stuff and got us the hell out of the D Street projects of South Boston. Oddly enough, I went back there after high school and visited friends and family, things like that. Nothing against it or those people. Just my mother decided that wasn't a place for her soon-to-be teenage son and her daughter. Um, so kind of starting to act uh, late 20s, 30 years old in Vegas, what happens after that? You, got, you, you obviously, you did those plays, you got the bug, then what? Yeah, well, what happened was 
um, uh, not the first play that I walked into and they gave me a chance to do the callbacks, which would never happen normally. At this second one, they had an L.A. director come in and she was no nonsense. So she wasn't going to put up with any of that. Right. Uh, like I, I walked into the audition. I didn't even have a headshot and resume because I'd never done anything. I was just in rehearsals for this other thing. And so she said, OK, you go first. Come on. And I mean, how am I supposed to remember you? Come on, come up here. And I thought, this is great. I'm never going to bring a headshot resume the rest of my life because I get to go first. Not knowing that that's a bad thing. I was going to audition. Then she was going to send me out, I'm sure, right? Saying this guy is an example of an unprepared actor. Um, but I went first with this other guy. And she told us switch parts. And I didn't want to switch parts. I wanted this one, the street guy, not his younger brother who never left the house. But I just did it because I figured that's how it goes. And we went outside. And the guy who was opposite me, uh, he was as opposite me as possible. He was perfect for the little brother, which is why he auditioned. I was probably, like I said, 29 at the time. Maybe he was mid-20s. And he was from Montana. Uh, what are the cliches? He played the tuba. He was in the 4-H club. He'd never been outside in the sun. He was so white. He was blue. Uh, all of that. I mean, he just, uh, he was studious, didn't like sports, never swore in his life. And he said, um, oh, I don't, I don't really want to do, do that part. But if she wants us to, um, I, I guess, but, but can you help me? I said, you don't listen to me, pal. I've never acted in my life. I'm in rehearsals at this other little play here that they do it on a basketball court, I just found out. And then this thing, which was the biggest theater company in Arizona, by the way. Uh, excuse me, Nevada. Uh, Charleston Knights Performing Arts Center. And it's 500 seat theater. Nice. I said, but you don't want to, you don't want to listen to me. He goes, no, but you seem to have that character down. I'm so confused as, 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 as to why, why she wanted to, us to switch, switch parts. But, um, um, something you said, you said in there, um, and, and I, I don't speak like that, but you said, um, motherfucker, I believe. <laughs> so is it motherfucker or is it motherfucker and you carry the earth? I said, motherfucker, you never said motherfucker before? You never said, are you kidding me? He goes, oh, no, we're not allowed to in my community. We say, dad gummit. Dad gummit. All right. So, but you feel, right? You feel like if something happens, you feel, do you have that in, in you? Oh, yes. Yeah, sometimes I get very angry at things. Oh, good. So say motherfucker as if you were saying dad gummit. You ever get mad and yell at someone? Yes. I yelled at my baby sister because she, she, um, she took my shoe and I couldn't find it. Great. Did you say it out loud? Did you, dad gummit? And by the way, why are you yelling at your baby sister? She's a baby. Anyway, the idea is you got mad, you say dad gummit. Just use transference. Just pretend you're saying dad gummit. Yes, but it's, it's so offensive to my ears. Why are you an actor? I don't understand this. <laughs> you want to play other, you want to just play you, do something else. Anyway, the idea is we, we got back inside after he did all his preparations and all that. And we get back up on stage. This is a couple hours later because she had to see the 200 people that were there to audition for this thing. Uh, we get back up on stage and she's in the third row leaning on her chair like every director is always in the third row, you know, leaning forward, saying, okay, begin. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did I, did I tell you two guys to switch? I think that was a mistake. Switch back. And the guy was like, oh, oh, I did my preparations and my actor prepares and I did this and I did my exercises. And she said, so? Just switch. You don't mind, do you? Looking to me. I said, no, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, so I'm fine. <laughs>
So we switched back and he got nervous and blew it. So by contrast, I looked good. And then as she started sending people home, including the guys who invited me down there from the other play, uh, I really wanted it. So I started thinking about the approach and what that means. And I was reading the script because a long time in between auditions. And I looked around and she separated us into the three characters. And it was just me and one other guy. And I said, oh, I want this so badly now, right? Although I don't know how I'm going to do two plays at once. And this guy um, was a really good actor. But at the end, his father figure dies and he's just playing it cool. You know, he's like, it's like this Mickey Rourke thing, like, uh, oh, you know, hey, what are you doing, you know? Hey, don't die. Don't die. What are you going to do, you know? I don't want you to die. What are you doing? Oh, man, what are you going to do, you know? I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And I got up there, and I was so nervous and exhausted from expending all the energy. I didn't know how to conserve it. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to do anything. I get up, and, I'm, and I do the scene. I'm bawling my eyes out, and I'm crying, don't die, or whatever. She runs up from her seat in the third row, puts her arms around me and says, oh, my goodness, are you OK? I'm thinking, she lady, I'm just acting. But I didn't say that. I said, oh, yeah, 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 I'm all right. I'm OK. And with her arms still around me, she turned to that guy who was a far better actor and said, you can leave because I'd wow. committed to that scene. Wow. But it wasn't that I was committing, making an acting choice. I was just done with it all, man. I had been there like three, four hours. And so, so I had my first lead in the play. And when I did that, the young, the guy who ended up getting my younger brother was the host of Blues Clues. Uh, the second time around, Donovan Patton was his name, uh, not the original Steve. And then the other guy was a principal at a performing arts high school. And then it was me, the fraud. So I worked really hard to fit in and the reviews came out and I got good reviews. Wow. And I said, oh, that's it. I'm hooked couple months later after the play ends that theater company invites me in to audition again among these other people who are in the community already and i get the lead and it's double casted but i get the first cast which means we get the reviews and we get all that and the other guys were it's a two-person play but the reason i brought that up is uh there was a there was a there's a scene where we decide the character uh, Dolman decides if he's going to stay and become a priest or he's just going to uh, just take off because he can't st stand the restrictions and he doesn't know about giving his life over. And it's called Mass Appeal, a really wonderful play, but a two-hander, really difficult to, uh, to get a grasp of. Mm -hmm. And sitting in that chair, they said, you can pick a piece of music to play during your, and the other guy cast picked something. And he said, I want to pick first because Jack gets everything else. So the other cast, and we did most of the performances because we were the A cast. So he picked whatever he picked. I forget. And I picked two songs that meant a lot to me. I said, can I rotate those? And they said, sure. One of them was um, Under the Bridge by the Chili Peppers. And I just it, it's always felt, I mean, especially when he gets to uh, Under the Bridge downtown, I gave my life away. Imagine that. Imagine giving it all away under a bridge downtown, like a troll rejected by society, not fitting in. You feel that you're ugly. So you have to live under a bridge. You can't even live above ground. You have to live under a bridge. And of course, this was about heroin use and what Anthony had gone through. Anthony mm -hmm. Gates, the lead singer. Um, 
but just the visuals of it, it moved me so much. I used that. And the second one was round here by the counting crows, mm -hmm. because I, I had all this bravery in the scene about, I'm going to do it. I'm going to become a priest. But inside I was feeling so insecure. And one line from that song got me. That's why I wanted to use it. And it said round here, uh, we talk like lions, but we sacrifice like lambs. That's the character right there. So I used both of these songs uh, in and, this play. And, so, and they, they would play the song in the play at a specific scene? A yes, when we're sitting in the chair and, and the character is deciding, look at this, it looks uh, like it's yeah. religious behind. Perfectly framed. <laughs> when, the, when the character is deciding, sorry for those who aren't watching this, I forgot that it's not on, on uh, cameras. Uh, so I remember sitting in the chair and looking out into the audience and it's this seminal moment in the seminary if you will about this the decision and so this would this song would play uh in the play and the audience would hear it we would hear it. i don't know how they got the rights i'm quite sure they even asked for that who knows exactly but it really i could feel the emotions that it evoked uh different ones in different times depending on which song about propelling me forward it me making that decision uh, mm -hmm. in the play. But it's just, it's such a powerful, uh, evocative force, uh, music is. And so bringing us back almost full circle, when I heard your music, I said, it has to be in my pile. It just has to be. <laughs> so thank you again. Of course. I'm, I'm I will take good stewardship of it, I promise. <laughs> Um, so, but obviously at some point then you transitioned from stage actor to television and, and had some movie roles as well. Do you move to LA like shortly after that or how long are you in Vegas? Yeah, that's a good point. So in, uh, what is it? April of, well, what year was that? I guess April of 94, I did that play orphans. Um, actually I remember we opened on tax day. So April 15th, 1994. And then I did the other play, Mass Appeal, a few months later, later in the season of that uh, theater company, which had a subscription. Um, big base of people always came out. It was really wonderful to be in that in front of that many people. And the director even said, you're going to be nervous tonight? There's 500 people in the audience. I said, I think I'm going to love it. I just love feeling back from people. And afterwards, she goes, she said, you were right. I thought you were going to be nervous no matter what you said, but you looked like you belong. It's what you want to hear. You belong. Right. No matter what group or person or art form you choose or whatever, when you want to belong to something. I'm never a big group joiner, uh, but just whatever. Belong to any community is a better way to say it. Whatever you think your tribe is, when you finally hear you belong or you feel it or both, man, yeah. it's a special moment. So that's when I knew I was going to do this the rest of my life. 
Now, unfortunately, unless you're on Broadway constantly, it doesn't pay the bills to be in. I knew I had to leave Las Vegas. I didn't have a white tiger. I couldn't do magic tricks. And so you're not going to make money on stage there. I couldn't sing, couldn't dance, can't just do traditional theater. So I moved to Las Vegas. Oh, I got a TV role on a show called The Watcher that was on UPN, uh, the Paramount Network, I guess, at the time. And uh, I got my SAG card and all of that. I got a speaking part. Three weeks later, the director came back and said, I really like you, but we're going to have to cover your face. I'm going to make you a brain surgeon. And during the scene, I rip off the mask because I almost kill a kid and I'm into it and all that. And afterwards, I said, oh, fuck, sorry, I didn't mean to take the mask off. He goes, no, that was smart. You got FaceTime. I don't care. It was worth it in the scene. Anyway, so after that, I said, time to go. And I moved to L.A. and started all over again. Nobody knew me. Nobody cared. I started taking acting classes and got into workshops and tried to get an agent. And my first agent has still been my best agent. She's gone now. But she was a friend, a mentor, a coach, therapist, all of it. When you're just starting out and you're just so unsure of yourself, it feels like you're running across uh, an ice skating rink with slippery shoes. You just don't know which direction you're going to go or fall or whether you're going to be able to get back up. And you know when you fall, it's going to hurt. But you just don't know what part of you is going to hurt. You hope it's not fatal to make you quit and run back to where you came from, which I've seen. Thousands of times at this point now from when I moved here in 96 to now. Uh, but I never gave up the dream. And it did. I did fall down. I did hit my elbow, scrape my knee, crack my head a few times. But it's all I ever wanted to do once I understood how to do it. Mm -hmm. There was nothing that was going to stop me from doing it. Even through ups and downs, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, you know, I just heard this recently. They say a career is something you're willing to do starting at the bottom and keep doing it no matter what. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's so true, but I think what's in your heart is way more important. I never wanted a job. I never wanted to do something just to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be happy too. Is that too much to ask? Right, right, right. I, I've done, I did some acting in, in high school and um, I would imagine, or I guess I would, I would say that feeling that being on stage or whether you're acting or playing music and feeling that energy um, is definitely something that I can relate to. And it's almost, it's like, it's almost like you're getting shocked. <laughs> it's like lightning and you just feel it throughout your body and, and it's intoxicating. You know, it's a, it's kind of a drug that feeling that energy and levitating, you know, I can tell you a number of times where, I would I would put money that I wasn't touching the ground like something I was I was floating you know and that's like that's, that's the elusive thing that that I'm still chasing uh that, that's beautiful isn't it yeah it's so beautiful I yeah. love that feeling you are I agree with you 100% it's this surge mm -hmm. like the paddles on a dead man's chest yeah. just boom this energy that goes through you you know I heard a story once Ruth Gordon, that wonderful actress who was in Rosemary's Baby, Harold and Maud. Uh, I knew her understudy. Of course, she was an older lady at the time. She told me the story. But Ruth Gordon was in the wings, coughing and wheezing and sick and maybe on her deathbed. I don't remember uh, where in her history it was. And, uh, and my friend, the understudy, said, oh, my goodness, how is she going to do this? 
I better get ready to go out there. She got to fall down. And she gets out there. Boom. She hits it. And she gives the performance of her life. And she's energetic and fun and funny. And you don't even hear it in, your vo in her voice. You don't see it in her body. She's just there. And then he, she comes off stage and collapses into the stage hand's arm and says, sorry, honey, I have to, let me catch my breath. Oh, my goodness. Did that go okay? It's like she was two different people. Mm -hmm. And my friend said to her, oh, my God, how did you do that? And she said, you see, I can be sick, but the character cannot. I can be sick, but the character cannot. There's another name for it, too. It's called Dr. Footlights. That as soon as you see the footlights and the people in life, just like you said, Brian, it's the same thing on stage for actors mm -hmm. as well. And I, and I would even reinforce um, that feeling where physically, like if, if I'm coming down with a cold or I, whatever, got the allergies happening, if I go and sing, if I go and perform, I would just feel better. I'd feel fine. I'd come off stage. I'd, my voice is fine. Everything, I feel healed. It's, the, it's really a strange thing, and it sounds super corny. Um, but that is a real thing. I have felt it and can, can say um, that there's something in that process, whether it's the release of endorphins or whatever, something's happening in your body um, that will heal whatever is ailing you at the moment. That is a real thing. Well, let's look at it from a scientific point of view. We know that the mind has a big part, not everything, but has a big part uh, on the cells. Mm -hmm. Mitochondria uh, affects our heart, our brain, all of it, how we feel mm -hmm. physically and emotionally. Stress can get you sick, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the opposite must be true, inverse mm -hmm. ratio. So when you feel good and you feel happy and you're excited and you're in a good mood, of course you can heal you. I mean, you just said it yourself, man. You just you're 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 in a place where you feel invincible, mm -hmm. and and the audience does that for you and your music. That's why we're so affected. When I see someone really enjoying something, whether it's a meal or or entertaining us on stage, whether it's music or acting, whatever, I immediately there's this wonderful rootability. I'm, I I get it. Because I've felt that with different things in our life. So to see someone enjoy something is inherently joyful. Just, just mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. to know that they're going through that because warmth towards other people is it's just it's just a gift, right? To feel that. So I, I love it when a performer's up there enjoying themselves, you know? And in stage is a little different uh, in theater, I mean, because you're playing a character. But to see a musician up there jamming and just sharing their art with us, they, whether it's a group or a person, his or her art, it's just, it's just wonderful. Yeah. It's just, it's just great. That's why I'm, I'm so, uh, I feel like I'm so attached to music because of the way it makes me feel for no other reason. I would like to thank our sponsor, Santan Brewing Company and Santan Spirits. Come on. Did you know that you can tour Arizona's largest locally owned brewery and distillery and then sample the brews and spirits as part of your experience i've done this tour i love it had a ball you should try it if you're a fan of craft beers like moon juice one of my personal faves devil's ale or 
artisan spirits like Sacred Stave, American Single Malt Whiskey. You're going to love seeing how they're made well, and then tasting them. Schedule your tour today. Just visit SantanTours.com to learn more. And go get yourself some education. Okay, and then have a couple sips. Pretty straightforward. Can we talk about Booze Traveler? Sure. Well, the first question I have is, I'm assuming it's a play on Blues Traveler. And was that obvi- was that intentional? Was that something that you came up with? Are you a fan of Blues Traveler? Well, sure. Who doesn't love John Popper and the boys? But here's what happened. I shot this pilot. Uh, and Travel Channel was not involved at the time, but I was the host. And after I did it, we visited Hawaii, Thailand, Laos, and Nepal over wow. 20-something days wow. uh, to get enough footage for a pilot because uh, it wasn't even a production company. Just two friends, these two ladies got together and said, let's make a TV show, and they ended up hiring me. <laughs> Shows you what they know. And <laughs> so I did this, and then they said, now we need a name. We're calling it Drinks Around the World. But you seem like a clever chap. Can you come up with something? And my mother is the brains of the family. She's the clever one. And so this was in 2012 now. And uh, when we shot the pilot. And I said, Ma, here's the deal. And we banged heads a little bit around. I mean, through ideas around. We didn't bang heads. And uh, she came up with Jack on the Rocks. And I said, oh, interesting. But it sounds like I'm down enough. (laughs) And it, it feels weird to put my name in the title. Nobody knows me. But through that back and forth with her, the inspiration, I came up with Booze Traveler because it sounded like Booze Traveler. So it's a name we already know. Right. We wouldn't be using their music or anything like that, but it's very familiar. And every time they tested it, including the network, Travel Channel, uh, I was told that it, it was the top choice every single time. So that's what they went with. Uh, and then four years later, we had, you know, we had a show for four years from 2014 to 2018. It's great. Now, how much of it, how much of the show was, was scripted or was it, I mean, listen, I feel like you are the perfect person for that show, right? No one else could do it the way you did. You you do it. It's so natural. It's just, it just, it's like watching friends have a drink and explore and find, you know, uh, and meet new people. And, how much of it was just kind of reliant on you and your personality and your approach? Like um, that's obviously why I would think uh, a large reason why they hired you for this particular role is that you can, you're immediately disarming and charming. Um, How much of it was scripted? Uh, None of it was scripted. (laughs) The, uh, the voiceover is Uh because they've already, they've already cut the show at that point. And then they have a writer or a couple of writers, depending on who's around, I guess, uh, write to my voice. And I had a little bit of latitude with the voiceover, but not much because it was timed perfectly. Right. So I had to even deliver my my stuff, even though it wasn't my words. I had to deliver it so it would hit the boom right before the scene or, right. or, or, or some, right before the lion roars or whatever, you know, right. something. Right before we all yelled cheers, I have to get the words in. So, you, you know, you work on that and then you get it. And that's for every episode, of course. But everything else was just me off the top of my head. And, I mean, I appreciate the kind words and what you say and how I did it. I, I think everybody, uh, 
could have, anyone could have done this and everyone would have had their own approach, whatever that means, you know? I, I thought the biggest challenge on the show for me, I mean, outside of the constant travel and jumping the international daylight, getting no sleep, too much sleep, all of that, yeah. uh, which is, but this is all part of it. It's understood. I'm not complaining. But the biggest challenge I thought would be to put away my acting training and just be me. Uh-huh. So many actors hide behind the role, the face, the, the character, the, the training. And then I said, I can't do any acting. If I really want to experience this, because the audience can smell it when, when it's, you know, when, when it, they can smell the bullshit, they understand when you're faking it, they know when you're being a phony. Yeah. So I thought I couldn't present this. I couldn't perform it. Couldn't even host it. I just had to be. And hopefully the camera captures that. And I made sure that because we were the guests, it was their home court, wherever we were that they were featured, that the camera was on them plenty of times uh, enough to, and, and to capture their moments because sitting down with them was a gift to me and to us. And I wanted to know what made them tick, what made their life, what they were happy. And I found out so many things about the world that I never knew before, including that we have, and you'd never know it from the environment, uh, politically speaking, but we have so much more in common than we do differences. Mm-hmm. And everyone around the world loves to laugh. They love to tease their loved ones. They love to take the edge off at the end of a long day, usually with a cocktail. Or they all love, love listening to really great music. And it translates around the world. <laughs> Whether it was music like yours that we understand that so many people can associate with, or in the Gobi Desert, Mongolian throat music. Mm. Like they don't know who people are. It's so funny. I was with a Mongolian camel herder and we were out in the fields milking camels, literally, because they they make uh, camel milk vodka out of camel milk because in the Gobi Desert, there's nothing there. It's just sand, right? It's just, there's nothing, you know, because you make alcohol out of fruits or grains or herbs. Uh, generally speaking, sometimes, you know, fruits and veggies, none of it's there. They have they eat cheese because they have all this milk from the from the cows and the horses and uh, mostly camels. And we we're out there and, and their gear or yurt, uh, for lack of a better, better phrase, uh, circular tent has a big hole in the middle and the still fits right up into it. And we can see from far away the gray smoke coming up. But when the vodka is ready, it comes out as a white puff. And the guy said through the translator, ah, the vodka's ready. And I said, yeah, either that or we have a new pope. <laughs> and he looks at me and looks at the translator, pope? Pope? <laughs> and I just love that he didn't know he's so far removed, doesn't even know what the pope is. Or the process how, for deciding who, who the next one is going to be. Of Well, if he doesn't know the Pope, he's right. never going to know that, of course. <laughs> but but the translator was in the English world as well, so had, had understood and they laughed and the, you know, he laughed and the crew laughed. But I was just so far removed from my comfort zone. I just loved it. So I had to find a new way to communicate. And that was with hugs and laughs and grins and smiles and gestures. Uh, and it was just wonderful. Just How- the, the gift gift of a lifetime, Brian. I bet. I mean, and 
I, I, you had a, that was a, that's a dream job. That's a job that I would love to do. And, and on some level, when I go over and, and tour in Europe, it's basically, that's what I'm doing. I'm living your life. You know, you go play music and then, and then you make friends and they invite you back to the house for drinks. And let me prepare you this classic thing that we eat at this time and have this drink. And, you know, I, I, I got a little taste of that. You get a little taste of that when, when you do tour in Europe. And my question, um, my next question is like, how much prep would you do? Um, or is the prep different for say going to Austria, which is a, a culture that, that we have some, um, similarities with, uh, you know, Western European culture versus, you know, some of the more, um, quote unquote exotic locations, like, would you prep the same way? Was there any prep? Like how much did you need to research or, or, okay, I, I know that I shouldn't do this. I should, I shouldn't smile when he says this, you know, like cultural things, how much of that prep did you have to do? Yeah. Well, thankfully we had a good production company, Carga seven and the backing of the network. They would make sure they do all of the pre-pro as it's called pre-production. And I, uh, had to stop myself from doing too much research because the, just like in acting, the discovery that happens on stage, or in this case on camera, is so much more exciting. So when I find out something about a place or a people or a thing or a culture, really? No, you're telling me that it's mm -hmm. so much more interesting than if I know it or I tell them, you see. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't sense. sound like a book report. Right. And it wasn't about all the facts of the place, we can do that in voiceover or with graphics or something. It, to me, it was always about the people. Like when I came back from, from a trip, e even early on, my friends would say, oh man, you got this great gig and what was it like and this and that. And I remember always telling stories about the people I met. It wasn't about the mountains and the monuments and the museums. It was about the people. No matter where I was, oh, I met this guy and he was a Mongolian camel herder or the sumo wrestler who, who pretended he didn't understand English and then he busted me when he heard me say something. Or uh, in Iceland, this, this Icelandic fisherman who uh, taught me how to fish for cod. Or in Turkey, these, these soccer fans, football, they call it over there, teaching me how to do this dance for Charsha, which is the, the group that roots for Besiktas. All of this, it's always about the people. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing a show, I couldn't talk about the drinks. It was, you know, drink-centric in that sense, of course. Although it was really a celebration of culture, the drinks would get us into the scene. I mean, that was the, the conceit of the show, that what are these right. people drinking and how they come up with it, et cetera. Uh, and it wasn't get, about getting shit-faced. It was never about overconsumption. Just celebration, right? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't even talk about the, yeah, they had this drink, they had that. But it was the people and the stories. That's when I realized, man, what that's, that's how you do it. That's what the idea, the objective of the show should be. It's taken these people... Brian Sharcher, tell me about you, what you love, what you don't, what inspired your music, all of that. Because it doesn't matter where in the world we are, people can relate to someone with a dream and how they process it. And sure, all the culture is interesting, that if you're going to go slaughter a goat for lunch, as opposed to go to a, a restaurant, or uh, I was with uh, Maasai warriors in Tanzania, and they live in dung huts, so there's millions of flies all over the place. And they and I didn't bother by them, but they were just covering our faces and our cameras just because that's how they live. And they they shot a cow in the neck with an arrow. 
and outspurts blood and they catch it in a gourd and mix it with honey wine. And I have to take the first sip because I'm in the place of honor. I'm in the seat of honor. And of course I do because I'd never insult the culture. Right. right so right. just, I, I don't know how else to say it other than it was just a gift of a lifetime. It mm -hmm. really was. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. as you say, like, it must have been obviously super rewarding just to kind of be be put in these really interesting situations and you know every every show obviously is in is in a different location so what you saw of the world you said it was on for four years it was two seasons four years is that right no uh four seasons four seasons uh, four years wow so we did 16 one-hour episodes every year except for the first we only did 15 and then the last year i also did 10 half-hour episodes of Booze Traveler Best Bars, which was domestic only, and it was the best bars in America under different categories. Um, but at the same time, unbeknownst to mo most people on earth, but the Travel Channel knew, because I told them, and the production company, and my family and friends, I was also battling cancer. So I knew that the, the show wasn't going to keep going. It, it couldn't. Uh, I had to go into chemo at some point because it wow. kept getting worse. So at the end of season four, I held on just long enough to uh, just to get home and to slide right into chemo. Wow. And uh, and that's when they pulled the show. Uh, and now I'm back and doing another one. Hopefully we'll see yeah. what happens. And and your your health is good. Everything you feeling good. Yeah. Thank you for asking. I just uh, did some blood work and haven't had to have a, uh, a scan for a while and i feel as good as I've, i haven't felt since before i got it see it's funny when the doctor said uh we think you have cancer <laughs> and it's either non-hodgkin's lymphoma or hodgkin's lymphoma and instead of saying oh poor me oh my god what does that mean i said which one am i rooting for <laughs> <laughs> i wanted the good one if there is a good one or one that's not as bad and he said, well, it all depends. Some people think this, some people think that. So anyway, they did a biopsy. They uh, sliced my back and pulled out a lymph node. And they found, uh, they found that it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but that it was slow growing. And he said, how did you not know you had this? What, what, you know, what was going on in your life? Didn't you have symptoms? I said, well, what are the symptoms? He said, well, you're tired a lot. Uh, your limbs ache. Uh, you can't sleep all that well. You wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, you have headaches. Oh, that sounds like booze traveling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had that since the first episode. Are you right. kidding me? Right, right. I had no idea that was cancer. <laughs> he says, well, there's a combination, maybe. And I, I should have got a clue because I was in New Zealand and we were about to shoot at Hobbiton where they filmed a lot of the Hobbit movies, right? And Lord oh. of the Rings and all of that. And everyone was pumped and the director was geeking out because he's a big Lord of the Rings fan and all of that. Uh, and I woke up at, I don't know, one or two in the morning throwing up blood or there was blood in my, there was blood in my, uh, however you want to say it. I don't want to exaggerate. Um, but uh, I, I knew something was off because there's no reason for it. And I just felt a little off, I guess. I don't know. But uh, the idea was, as it got worse and worse, uh, my doctor finally said, I think we're going to have to do something. We would hate to have you out, uh, you know, at the bottom of the world somewhere where you can't get to a hospital or in Siberia 
in the wilds of right. of Siberia, and you couldn't, you you would die if you had an attack. So right. I I went into chemo, and then and by the way, the network was very supportive because I had told them before that, and they said, well, you can keep doing the show uh, up to a certain point. But then when I went in chemo, uh, they went into chemo rather. They uh, they said, well, you know. Just in case he dies, we better not do anything. No, I'm just kidding. That is, uh, I, don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but the idea was I was grateful for every minute they gave me and for all four years and for all 73 episodes of that show. Mm. Uh, and I'll take that experience and those memories and uh, those friendships with me the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the the new show, the pilot, and, and what the premise is and maybe similarities to Booze Traveler or, you know, what's the new angle and, and, and what's the vision? Yeah, I could talk about some of it. Yeah. Uh, it's what it's not is another booze traveler for sure. There are similarities in that I travel that I might have a drink now and then, um, since people know me for that, of course, uh, I have, I've been sworn to secrecy, but we have, uh, uh, a pretty well-known cat who's going to do the show for me because he was a, a fan of booze travel. So a celebrity uh, that wants to come on the show with me. It's just a pilot. And uh, I guess outside of that, I will probably um, release some pictures from the set whenever I do that. Uh, but as pilots go, you, without getting too much inside baseball, generally you just shoot a sizzle reel a uh, two or three or five minute example of what it is you want to do. And then you try to sell that because pilots are time consuming and expensive and the network won't sit through a whole pilot presentation. They'll just watch a little scissor. If you even get them to do that. Hmm. In this case, if I wanted to do a scissor reel, I would have just cut together old booze travel episodes. This is uh, a different version. I'm an older person now a little bit. I've gone through it all. Uh, I have a different perspective, or at least uh, hopefully a, a more mature perspective on, on on things and the people I meet. At the same time, still have lots of fun. I'm just like a kid at play when I'm at these, and I'm just fascinated by it all, the people, the culture, the place, the drinks, all of it. So it's not it's not exactly booze travel, but there are some elements, I suppose. You know, I'm going around the place traveling and this and that. Uh, but I'll let you know more when I can. And I'll come back on the show and you can show a clip, uh, but we'll see. We'll see what we do with this pilot and where we bring it. There's some interest already, of course, and we'll see what happens with it. That's super exciting, man. I'm but sure. it will have your music in it. That's for sure, everybody. Come on. It'll have Brian's music. <laughs> that's the best part of it. Well, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. And that's my, uh, my, my dear friend and colleague in the Sweet Remains. That's Rich Price's. Uh, song uh it's one thank of my you, favorites yep thank you rich uh it's it's very easy being in a band with someone like rich who can write a song before breakfast and nine times out of ten they're really great songs so it's wow. it's really a pleasure yeah. of mine to be uh in a band with with someone so talented so thanks to rich price and and we're really uh fans of yours and i can't wait to, to watch the pilot and um I encourage everyone to go check out Booze Traveler if you if you love to travel and and experience new cultures and and hear about great cocktails and and 
great food, you know, definitely recommend checking out Booze Traveler. I actually, I, I downloaded Discovery Plus so I could watch it. Uh, so anyway, it's such oh. a great, it's such a great show. And, and thank you. Yeah, man, that was, that's, that, that must've been a dream gig. And I, and I, uh, you're so humble and, and grateful, uh, which I think is a big lesson too. You know, you, you certainly don't, uh, sound like you took it for granted or, or, you know, it, 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 it was never lost on you. How, how magical a, an opportunity that that was probably. What a waste that would have been. Yeah. I know because I live in Hollywood, not technically Hollywood exactly, but I live in LA and I've seen people that were nobodies that got to be somebody's supposedly based on their work and they completely changed. And I just don't understand it. I, I would think that if you're struggling for so long and then you catch a break of what we call a break and you have a show or a couple of guest spots or an arc on a show that you like or hosting a show like I did, it's my own show. How are you not more humble, more grateful, more thankful of the people who helped you get to that point? You, you got something now and you can do something with it while expressing your authentic self through that. Mm-hmm. How is that not a better position than where you were back then? Why would you mistreat people? Because listen, I know a lot of us get mistreated. The old joke is, oh, you're an actor, huh? Which restaurant? And <laughs> they, they, they look down on us because anyone could just wake up and say, I'm an actor. No one can wake up and say, I'm a lawyer or I'm a songwriter if you've never written a song. Or, I mean, I suppose you could say you want to do songwriting, but you can't say I'm a brain surgeon. But anyone could wake up and say, oh, today I'm going to be an actor. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of that. But I've never quit. And I've done it since the day I walked in to that very first audition. I've done that and, and only that. I've been focusing on acting and, and hosting when it comes along. And I love every aspect of being able to express myself uh, truthfully as much as I can. And so um, just just to be able to do that, like you do with your music, it's just... I. And, and this isn't false modesty. I'm just super grateful for everything. First of all, that I got through cancer and that I'm okay. And I look roughly the same. Yeah, a couple more wrinkles and what have you. But that I bounced back relatively the same. I didn't put on 80 or 100 pounds from the cancer or had to all of a sudden um, wear thick Ben Franklin bifocals because I got so old and my hair, I lost my hair and it turned gray or whatever. I, I kind of look roughly the same. So I think I could do the same thing. So now, uh, even more uh, changed by that experience and and more excited to get out there and to do it all again, but in a different way, a way that hopefully is, uh, speaks to the same, uh, I guess, uh, aspect of what people loved about Blues Traveler, but with uh, another different spin or two. I think it's going to be great. And I'm so, I'm so happy to be able to do it. And I have a lot of help and I'll, I'll uh, thank them all once we reveal what this is and where it might land. But if you want to stay in touch, folks, if you want to uh, know what's going on, you can always follow me on Instagram or Twitter. And it's Southie, like my neighborhood, not Selfie. Somebody wrote down Selfie the other day. And I, no, I'm not that eager to do a Selfie, Jack. It's Southie, S-O-U-T-H-I-E, like Southie, the neighborhood. Yeah. Southie Jack, one word, um, on Instagram and Twitter. So I'll keep you posted there. And of course, 
uh, Brian will as well, because I can't wait to come back on and show you the clip where your song is going to be, wherever that is. We still don't know, but I just know it's going to be in it for sure. That's awesome. I can't wait to see it. Um, Speaking of um, acting, um, do you have any like acting heroes? Like who who kind of inspired you um, in that field? Yeah, without getting into semantics, I think heroes are the people that, they risk their lives for you. You know, here was my mother who worked three jobs to raise two kids and my grandmother who sacrificed her life for us, for us kids to hope that we had a better life than they did. You know, there's, there's mentors in my life, of course, and, you know, what we call heroes, and I get it. I'm not trying to parse words, but I think certain, I think words matter. Certain things should be reserved for those who, who really put their lives on the line, frontline workers and emergency responders and all of that. There are people I look up to, but I never wanted to, follow in someone's footsteps exactly i wanted to chart my own course even when i worked with al pacino on stage i didn't just glom on then and say i want to do exactly everything he did because he had to find his own path i wanted to seek what he sought and people like that like how do you see the world and you learn how to appreciate things in a different way and how to take maybe a different angle instead of the head-on view maybe from the side and to sympathize and empathize with with what what people are going through and therefore, when you're creating a character, you understand what that's like, you know, or, or I just think it starts with a feeling for humanity instead of a technical aspect. I think it starts in here. And that's why I love doing booze travel and this new one, because I think that when you want to connect with people, you do through every barrier, whether it's political, religious, uh, color of the skin, uh, geographical. Whether someone drinks it or it doesn't matter. Whether someone's long or tall or short or brown or white, it doesn't matter. If you want to connect with someone, we humans have this wonderfully unique way of connecting with each other in any way we want to. Whether it's through humor or a couple of drinks or music or love of family or friendship. If you show warmth, generally speaking, it'll be returned. And I just think that's that's a great thing about us. I think as a species, we're way underrated. <laughs> I have some exciting news to report from So The Story Goes headquarters. I now have an email address that you can send your comments and critiques to. It's so the story goes at Brian Chartrand. Dot com. Send me your thoughts. Tell me what you're thinking. Are you digging it? Maybe you're not digging it. Don't send me those emails. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I love you. When I think about Boost Traveler and kind of what it was um, trying to achieve, I can't help but think of Anthony Bourdain and what he did um, for that kind of genre. Um do you have any any input on on what he did or did you ever meet him or was that ever a thought in your in your mind like it, it is I, the way i see it and maybe i'm i'm wrong but he really broke down a barrier and 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 made those sorts of shows really accessible i felt like he was speaking as you do speaking my language speaking like me and um can you speak to anything with, with Anthony Bourdain? Yeah, I mean, he was the master, right? Sensei. 
I was never fortunate enough to meet him. He had gone to CNN right when I got the travel channel. So we never crossed paths in any promotional things. We would have had he stayed, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, at the audition for this, or maybe it was a network meeting right after, I forget. Um, they said, so how are you going to approach it? Because we're kind of looking for an Anthony Bourdain. And I said, oh, no, you have to get someone else. He's an author. Uh, he's the way he connects with people, the way he is just his unvarnished truth that he shares with everybody. Uh, I, I just, I, I could, I, and he's so much smarter than I. There's no way I could do it, the show like he does. And he wouldn't want to do the show the way I want to do it. Right. So I think that if you're looking for someone to put, uh, I guess, their own unique perspective into it, I'm the guy. I, I promise to be authentically me as much as I can, but I can never try to be someone else. And as Oscar Wilde said, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. So I think it would come across, too, if I tried to be Anthony Bourdain, if I try to walk like him, talk like him, sound like him, if the writing was in his voice, uh, it'd be a very poor very cheap imitation. Yeah. And uh, I just would never do that. And uh, outside of that, you're right. He was the first one that, that made these kinds of shows uh, much more acceptable. You, I guess you could use the term crossover, right? Mm. They weren't just travel shows. They weren't just a guy or a woman talking about, go here, you drink this, you eat that. He really put himself into it. Um, of course, at the time, I had not seen uh I, I was not a fan of those kind of things, those shows, those network things. So I was well aware of who he was because of his crossover appeal. And he was on, I don't know, some kids show uh, and he was being interviewed by some talk show host. So I was well aware of him, but I never watched his show. And then after that, I couldn't until I was done with the show. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and then I got to enjoy them all because I didn't even want to subconsciously, Mm -hmm. uh, be like him. So I was late to the party on purpose. Mm -hmm. And then of course we lost him in the the tragedy that is suicide. And, you know, he left behind a a little girl at the time. And I I just feel so, oh, just, I I can't think of a word, but better than just profoundly sad that we lost such a generational talent like that and that a family more importantly lost a man a father uh, a friend for his friends and and everything it was just yeah. it was just horrendous and i yeah. just I, I i would encourage anyone who's feeling down or depressed or suicidal to please reach out because it seems like and that's the scourge of depression it seems like nobody cares but that's the definition of it. You're in a rut and, and you don't hear all of us and the love we're sending you, the thoughts we're sending you away. You don't understand when we say, hey, how are you? I love you. I want to, hey, let me give you a hug. You don't see it or feel it because you're feeling so badly on the inside. And I'm certainly not qualified to talk about it. I just have had plenty of friends who, uh, who have said, man, I'm glad I reached out. I'm glad I called Suicide Howard. Uh, Hey, Jack, I'm down. Would you come over and hang out? And, and, I, and I would. And I've done that for people I don't even know. People who are fans of the show said, hey, man, I could use an ear. You seem like a cool cat. Can we talk? And I've done that on, on certain occasions. Of course, I can't do that all the time. But it always ends with positive encouragement and, and asking them to please go get help. Because, again, like I said, I'm not qualified 
to treat that. But I can't be a friend. And we can always, always, all of us be kind. Mm-hmm. Great, uh, great way to uh, to wrap up the conversation. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this. Um, as I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work. I love uh, I love the show Boost Traveling. I'm really looking forward to the new uh, pilot and really grateful to be a part of it. And again, thanks to Ken for for putting us uh, together. And um, yay, Ken Colbert, good guy, <laughs> good guy, and Anita. Let's not forget right. her. And thank you for having me on and and for sharing your art with the world. I mean, not just because it got out, it will end up on my show. But just that everybody, I would, I would, I would encourage everyone to check out the Sweet Remains. It's really great stuff, um, and and I'm sure they know if they listen to your podcast who you are and what your music is. But uh, it was a joy to find it, and I can't wait to make it part of the show. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Can't wait to see it. Well, enjoy, uh, enjoy Los Angeles. Uh, Come over it? anytime. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a drink we'll have a cup of coffee you'll bring your guitar you'll sing songs yeah uh, let's go. and we'll enjoy it because that's what <laughs> it's about right it's about enjoying the time we have left with our family and friends yeah. and finding whatever happiness we can in the way we can well appreciate you jack i'm sure we'll be in touch soon and and uh thanks again for your time and and i'll and i'll talk to you soon it was my pleasure Frank. thank you Go